What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Uh, today, we're very lucky to have at 1001 Heroes a very knowledgeable guest, Lon Strickler, who is an author, and he's also a, a very popular website called phantomsandmonsters.com. He's got a great-selling book out there, and the book is called The Mothman Dynasty. Lon, it's great to have you with us today. How are you doing? Hey, I'm fine. Thanks for having me. You bet. I'm hoping you could uh, share a little bit of your background with us and then uh, tell us how you first got into paranormal research. Well, I, I guess it all started when I was a young kid. I mean, I was, uh, one day I had gone to the Gettysburg Battlefield, which I used to do a lot of when I was younger. I used to ride my bike there. And one day, all of a sudden, I was in the area of what they call Death Valley, which is between Little Round Top and Devil's Den. And all of a sudden, I just started experiencing a battle. I mean, basically, I was hearing gunshots, cannon fire, screams, yells, sensing a lot of different things going on. All my senses were heightened. I was seeing apparitions smelling gunpowder blood the whole nine yards i mean it was it was eye-opening but i had always known i guess that i was intuitive to some degree but that was really the first time it became apparent so um you're lucky you kept your sanity that's a lot for uh, a young guy to absorb yeah, I mean and it wasn't something i advertised to my parents or anything i, I don't know if they knew you know, it's not like I lived in a haunted house or anything. I mean, it was, uh, every once in a while I would have, uh, an experience like that. And then court, now this was back, you know, this was, that was the late sixties when that happened. And as I got into, um, high school, I started getting more interested into the, uh, the paranormal, even though that wasn't a thing back then, like it is now, I knew a little bit about what they call powwowing or, uh, folklore, uh, healing and such. And, you know, I, I just got into a lot of this stuff. So it, anyway, I, I would, I would start investigating houses for people or businesses where there was activity going on. And it was just like a word of mouth thing. So after I graduated from high school, I moved to Maryland. You know, after that, I started picking up more and more as far as doing, doing this paranormal work. And, you know, it was mostly all spiritual work until I had a, uh, a Bigfoot encounter in 1981 in Sykes, near Sykesville, Maryland, that uh, kind of got me interested in cryptids. So it kind of gone from there. It, you know, I really didn't start writing any of this down, any of this down until like the mid-2000s, 2000, I guess 2005. 
when I started the blog. So, you know, I started posting all the stuff I had been collecting over the years, and that's where we are. You know, I guess after 13 years, you know, it's steadily increasing, and uh, that's where we are at this point. Uh, your your blog is very, very impressive, phantomsandmonsters.com. You've really done a fantastic job in documenting a lot. You've spent a lot of time developing maps, and I know we're going to get into it, but one of the things that fascinated me most and maybe impressed me most was the map you had done of Chicago and the right. different and the different uh, winged humanoid sightings that have occurred there. And that yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. this yeah. probably is a good time to go to Chicago. What was the first person that came to you with a Mothman sighting? When was it, and, and what originated there? Well, actually, the first sightings, there were three sightings in 2011. They were all three reported on the uh, MUFON CMS and, you know, I had looked into a lot of that, you know, as much information as I could get from MUFON because they just don't hand out information. So I got involved with another gentleman by the name of Manuel Navarrete. He was local. He lived in Chicago. So uh, he was looking into the phenomena as well. After that occurred in 2011, it kind of died down. There, You know, we didn't really hear much about those the type of anomaly like that or similar to that until uh, the spring of 2017, a report came in again to MUFON in which a woman who was walking her dog in Oz Park came across this red-eyed winged being standing in the park. She made the report to MUFON Manuel contacted me about it. He was able to track her down, interviewed her. Then after that, there were a couple other reports that came up on the MUFON CMS. And I thought to myself, well, you know, I'm posting this stuff on the, on the blog. I'm going to start advertising on Google and letting you know people know that they can contact me. And, you know, we you know, have some people in Chicago that are going to help follow up. And that's kind of where you know, started at, and we were getting calls here and there, and right now at this point, we've got 73 sightings in and around Chicago into uh, southern Wisconsin and northern Indiana. We're taking reports 150 miles radius of Chicago, and like I said, we've got 73 actual reports that we deem are credible that I have listed on the uh, on the interactive map. What constitutes a credible sighting to you? Well, it's a lot of factors. I mean, first of all, I want to be able to talk to the witness. And if I can get and possibly have one of my people in the Chicago area talk to them in person, if that isn't the case, I, I, I definitely have to get a, you know talk to them by phone. What's important is when they make the initial report, how they react, how they not embellish on it, which is something that we have found with almost every one of the witnesses that they stick to the original story. They don't expound on what they saw. They don't follow up on suggestions by the investigator on what they saw. And then we just try to figure out if what they're saying is credible and if they have known about the sightings or not, which most of them did There was a lot of things going on, but one thing was it wasn't really picked up by the media for a while anyway. 
that's how we made a determination. You know, and like I said, I had several people working with me and had a lot of them follow up with the witnesses as well. I, t- I tell you, the one in particular that really stands out to me is a report that that came from Bolingbrook, Illinois, which is outside of Chicago. That report was a woman, who, a resident, who went in, who did a nightly walk into around her block, and part of her walk was in a um, was in a local playground. So it was around 10, 1030 at night. She's walking through this playground and she sees something standing in the middle of the sidewalk. And at first she doesn't recognize, she, she first thought it was two people embracing, but it was fairly tall. She didn't know if it was like a, a maybe an umbrella or something that one of them was holding. But anyway, she got closer to this thing turned and she realized then that this thing was huge it was one being and as she got closer to it she heard a gargling sound coming from it which i believe it was i think it was sleeping standing up to be honest with you and it looked like it had wings folded around it there weren't any actual wings sticking up and it didn't fly or anything but the fact that she saw this thing and then went around it as best she could, and then suddenly she became very weak and had to sit down until she gained her composure after about five minutes. But it physically affected her. And after that occurred, she uh, she quickly went home. Her son was there. He wanted to go back out. They went back out in the car. They drove up beside the playground and something made itself known that were in the bushes, the hedges on the edge. So he got a quick look at it. But there was definitely something going on when she called me. I mean, you know, especially these witnesses that call me right away are within like an hour or so because they'll go on the Internet and I don't even know exactly what they search. But whatever it is, they, they get a hold of me, then uh, they contact me. I mean, they are frightened or, and you know, very emotional. I, I guess the, and the one sighting that I really liked where this thing was flying was a sighting on the, uh, on the lake front. And I forget, the, I forget the name of the route, but it, it was, it was on the main drag area on the lake front. And this couple were walk. It was at nighttime and they were walking in front of the condominium where the woman's mother lived at. They were from out of town. They were from Washington visiting. And as they were walking, I guess they were walking south, they noticed something huge fly in front of them from the direction of the lake. Went across in front of them, flew straight up over the trees and up to the side of the building. Now, this building is almost like 15 stories high. They watched this thing just stop in midair with its wings out and like it was looking through one of the windows, just hovering there. This freaked them out. This thing leaned back and did a dive back toward the trees. They got around the corner heading back to the building towards the entrance and this winged humanoid 
descended in front of them and just hovered in front, about 15 foot in front of them. The woman stated that she just lost all control of her knees. She just went down the ground. She said this thing had its wings spread about 15, 12 to 15 foot wingspan, dark in color, looked like it was wet or kind of shiny looking. And the legs on this thing were like hovering. I mean, were like, I don't know, vibrating to the point where they actually felt the vibration, both her and her husband. So after, I don't know how long, it was just, it wasn't more than 10 seconds. And in fact, there were, somebody must have took a picture of it because they noticed a flash from across the street. Somebody seen it as well. And uh, there was a guy in a panel truck who had been, had the door open. He they heard him making, you know, see it and get in a truck quickly and try to get away. So they noticed all of this. After about 10, 15 seconds, this thing ascended very slowly. But it wasn't flapping its wings or anything. It was just like it was uh, being pulled up by a string, you know. As it got to a certain height, that it quickly took off. That That's one of the strangest characteristics about about this creature is the fact that it can take off straight up into the air and the fact that it can hover in one place. It's, mm-hmm. Those are supernatural abilities that you don't usually associate with other types of cryptids. Uh, what's your theory as to how this thing gains propulsion? I don't know. That That's one thing I really don't know. I mean, this is it's definitely a supernatural being, in my opinion. I don't believe it's an indigenous being. I think it's interdimensional. And in fact, I got a report today from uh, Rockford, Illinois. We've been getting a lot of reports out of Rockford, Illinois the last couple of weeks. Now, they're mostly older reports, but they're very similar to what had been going on in Chicago. And uh, this, the, the, good, the interesting thing about this report was the three witnesses actually saw this being disappear, vanish in front of their eyes. And that's only the second time that we've received a report like that. Uh, I received a report earlier in the year from two women who were, uh, during the day, that were walking down the street just a few blocks south of uh, Wrigley Field during the day. And uh, they saw this being fly across through the intersection and suddenly vanish. Now, these sightings came after... I had written a book and, you know, in the book, we gave a lot of different theories about what we believed was going on. In fact, every, I had every person in the team do a synopsis, a narrative of what they thought this was. And, you know, it ran the gamut. I mean, we all don't agree on everything, but for the most part, the interdimensional aspect or theory does seem to weigh heavy on everybody. It, it just seems impossible that these beings, and I say beings because I believe there are more than three of them, it just seems impossible that they could be indigenous. And uh, even though we think of the flesh and blood, I still think they're coming from another reality of some type. Now, I, I've read that your opinion of the Point Pleasant creature was that that was basically one creature. And yet, uh, with what's going on in, in Chicago and Rockford, you're pretty much convinced it's three. What brings you to that conclusion? Well, they're different type of beings. I mean, they're winged, but they don't look alike. I mean, for the most part, the sightings in Chicago and 
in the Chicago land area had been these um, gargoyle wing-like beings, uh, bat-like wings. They've had detached arms or arms that were attached to the wing. There were variations. Not all were red-eyed. Some were, some weren't. Most were fleeting very quickly and, you know, hard to get a photograph of. In in Point Pleasant, all the uh, all the, the sightings were of this moth-wing being, if you want to say insectoid, I guess you can say that, but they were all very similar. It had red eyes, but it was it, it looked like an actual moth with human legs. So uh, that's the main difference. Now, as far as why these things show up the way they do, I believe that in the Point Pleasant incidents, and I've thought this for a while, that it's a summoned being. In other words, there is a supernatural energy in the area that summoned this thing from wherever it came from. If, is that the case in Chicago? I'm not sure. You know, it could be. But, you know, we have no way of proving that. Uh, there, Some of the sightings have been concentrated in certain areas of the city, in particular the ones that we had seven or eight sightings that were in the little village area of Chicago. We had many that were near the lake. It, it, you know, it's hard to tell how and why they're getting, they're coming, where they come from, and uh, why they're showing up like that. But there are small variations to where I believe there's at least three. Have you been able to connect as many paranormal sightings and activity and lights as there was reported in the Point Pleasant cluster? No. Uh, you know, Chicago and in, in around the Lake Michigan uh, locations are pretty well known for a lot of UFO activity. They always have been. And it from... Now, looking back during the periods of this thing being seen, it, it seemed that the UFO activity waned off during that period. We also looked into other paranormal activity, spiritual activity, other anomalies, and it, there just didn't seem to be a connection anywhere. There were some, there were some strange lights seen in the Chicago Heights, south of Chicago, area during some of this some of this activity but i i can't attribute it to the sightings so you know of course at point pleasant there were ufo a lot of ufo activity a lot of paranormal activity the men in black and a lot of other, there was a lot of other weird stuff going on um, a lot of our listeners uh saw the movie the mothman prophecies uh, right. based on john keel's book in your right. opinion how much of that was fiction and how much of that was pure research? I, I think most of the Mothman prophecy, if you actually read the book, I, I think there are some bits and pieces that are reality. But as far as the movie goes, I think a lot of that was fictionalized. Of course, the dates and times and everything were all fictionalized. Now, they did, um, they did include the, the Silver Bridge Collapse uh, the death toll was different than what actually happened. But, uh, you know, every, when that did happen, and in fact, there was a, a lot of sightings of this, this winged being, the people, I think, for the most part, tried to use that as an excuse for why the bridge collapsed. Mm -hmm. You know, that's where we get this harbinger theory. 
you know, Keel kind of, you know, he kind of accentuated that a bit, as I believe, in the Balkman prophecies. You know, I, I think there's a lot of fiction to what was in the, the book and the movie, but who knows? I mean, you know, it, it, it's just like a lot of other unexplained phenomena. You know, there's there is some embellishment, I suppose, but I, I just don't believe in the harbinger theory. I don't believe this thing was a harbinger, even though there have been incidents around the world where people believe that a sighting of some type of winged being indicates something bad is going to happen. Well, I, I don't know of anything in Chicago that has happened yet that it can be attributed to the sightings. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, there's And there's sporadic sightings around the world, and winged humanoids have been with us where winged cryptids have been with us since the beginning of man. If you go back to the cave drawings, I I do think a lot of the the story about the men in black, I think that was borrowed f- from Gray Barker, and I think right. Barker took that from basically from the Project Blue Book uh, period after which Hynek was dismissed and the, and the Air Force brought a, a critic, basically, of the supernatural who wanted to tamp down on the progress they'd made with Project Blue Book. Yeah, you know, the men in black phenomenon is something that does happen. I mean, it... There have been many, many incidents where people have swore they they have run ac- come across these these guys in black. I, you know what they are and what they do. I, I don't know exactly. I mean, there's a lot of theories about it. In in Chicago, uh, what was the what was the Armentrano sighting? What what did that involve? Do you recall that one? Oh, that was the uh, the Al Bar. This gentleman worked at a place called the Al Bar. And he happened to go outside, have a cigarette one night, and he saw this thing fly in the lot, across the lot, from across the street. And he contacted me directly about it. It was, the sighting was fairly similar to the other sightings, but it, it, it also had like a, um, a ray or like a spike that kind of came back off its head. But the other parts of the description, um, you know, the the black, dark colored being that was that would quickly glide by with the bat like wings, the small, thin head, thin, long body, they were fairly consistent. Now that sighting got a lot of more attention because I had done an interview with Vice.com when this was all going on, and they followed up, and I was able to. So, so many of the witnesses didn't want to be contacted, but some of them did. Uh, and he went ahead and volunteered, so I gave the guys at Vice his contact information. So uh, that's how that sighting got kind of singled out compared to some of the other ones. You know, Mothman, I just find Mothman to be a, an interesting creature because he, he, he has so many human tendencies. There's so many reports that have Mothman peering through windows I mean, yeah. just doing things that was as if it was half man and half creature, and either one was trying to get out of one shell or the other. He, just, he was kind of caught in between. I almost picture Mothman as a, um, an alien-created hybrid humanoid where they had maybe tried to populate a, a planet. Who knows? Maybe he came from some strange planet. They somehow mixed him with man, with a human, and uh, he's got the qualities of both, plus supernatural qualities added. Just a strange, strange being. 
Well, the one thing I found interesting about these sightings in Chicago were there were other sightings going on as well in other places. In fact, there were three sightings in the area of Zephyr Hills, Florida at about the same time. Very similar being, though the characteristics in two of those sightings were that it was seen hovering above a pile of dead deer on a highway outside of Zephyr Hills, Florida. Now, you know, why that? I don't know. The, the, the witnesses were very credible. They were uh, delivery men who were out in the, out in about 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. But uh, the, their information was very credible. Um, another sighting down in Texas where the gentleman had uh, countered this thing on his neighbor's roof. Looked like, and you know, the description is very similar to what people were seeing in Chicago. Another one outside of Cleveland where it's a gentleman who had a panel truck with a high, a cab, low cab with the exposed truck where this thing had actually got hit. I mean, it actually hit the thing. And it kind of rolled off the back of the truck, and he stopped the truck, got out, and this thing was laying on the road, then got up, red eyes, took off. So, you know, I, I don't know. It, you know, that, that was a very credible sighting as well. You know, it, it, this is one thing about the these witnesses. I mean, it 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 the one thing that really stood out was the way they described it, the way they felt, and their reluctance to even embellish on it. So, have you ever had a chance to to see what you think might have been Mothman? Well, I had an encounter back in 1988 uh, locally. It was kind of the reason why I got interested in the the winged humanoid. I had met up with a friend of mine who I knew when I used to live in Pennsylvania. Now I moved back to Pennsylvania. I'm living here now again. But anyway, he was a uh, he was a scout leader at one of the one of the troops, and uh, there was an area called Camp Conewaga in which you know a lot of the area scout troops would go camping on the weekends and such. So. You know, we got to talking, uh, and he was telling, and he knew about me doing um, paranormal investigations. We got to talking about it. He was telling me, he said, you know, there's been a lot of crazy stuff going on at Camp Conewaga. People have been, um, you know, these, these kids have been seeing stuff, hearing stuff, and they'd pack up in the middle of the weekend and take off. And, you know, and it's, it happened several times. So, he told me that he and another guy were going to go out there that next weekend. If, if I wanted to come up and go out with him, I'd be more than welcome. So, yeah, I went out. I was interested. I wanted to see what was going on. Now, there was no real description of what people people weren't really seeing anything, but these kids and these leaders on the troops were hearing these screaming sounds. So, you know, I thought, well, they're hearing owls or something else out there screaming at nights. But I went out. So, anyway, I met them at the camp and you know we walked out into the camping area into the woods i got there and uh we you know we camped we went out to the woods set up our camp we all had each of us had a tent you know the first night you know it's kind of dead i mean though when we woke up the next morning people were asking uh you know i we all noticed that we heard sounds in the camp like somebody had gotten up and walked around and which is what I thought. I thought one of them had gotten up and went, you know, used a latrine or something. But anyway, so, you know, I was sensing that maybe something was watching us. I, I didn't really know. 
I said the first night was pretty uneventful. So the next morning we got we got up, ate breakfast, and decided to go tramping through the woods. And we were out there all day. We were I don't know how many miles we walked that day, but we were looking all about. So we got back to camp, I guess about six in the afternoon. And this was in the fall, so I mean it wasn't really getting dark early yet, but uh, you know, it was it was getting there. Well, anyway. We were sitting around, actually, we were sitting around talking about football, I guess, most of the night. And I guess about 11 o'clock, we heard this scream. And we kind of heard it coming in and out, fitting in and out. And I swear it sounded like a kid was screaming, like a, a child was screaming. I had never heard anything like that before. But, you know, I wasn't discounting it was like some animal making a sound, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, we... um. Bobcats can put up a pretty good scream too. And we had bobcats. I mean, so absolutely. And I, it was a lot of, it could have been a lot of different things. Well, anyway, we got back to talking and, uh, you know, we, I guess about an hour later, I got up and walked around, uh, just stretching. I guess it was about midnight, but you know, I was out walking and I, I really had a, something, a weird, weird feeling of that something was watching us. I don't know why. It was just one of those things. I mean, I'm an intuitive, so I do pick up on this stuff. So um, I went back. I told these two guys, I said, look, you know, let's go. Um, let's go down the trail a bit. So we grabbed our flashlights, walked down the trail, and we didn't get about more than 50 foot away from the campsite. When we all three noticed on our right in the creek, there was something with red eyes standing in the middle of the creek. Now the creek was pretty low at this point, but it was standing. And by the time we got our flashlights on this thing, it suddenly shot straight up in the air with a whooshing sound. And then we heard the screaming as it moved away. Now (laughs) we got back to, we, we rushed back to camp. Uh, one of the guys, he was shook. I mean, he wasn't even talking. He didn't know what the hell he saw. And it was unfortunate that we didn't get a real good look at it before it took off. But we did, the other guy and I both noticed that it had structures on its back. Now, I don't think the wings were unfurled, but I think the wing structure was able to be seen. And it, it was a pretty decent moonlight that night as well. So we did get a somewhat of a look of the shape, and it did look humanoid. But the red eyes were definitely something we all saw. So the guy who was the guy who was shook up, he didn't want. He was ready to leave. So he and the other guy, they actually packed their stuff up and went up to the administration building in the camp and stayed there. Now I stayed back. I wanted to see what the hell this thing was. And fortunately, I didn't. Nothing else happened that night. It's the way it always goes. Yeah, you know. But you know in. Since that time, you know, I've dubbed this thing the Conawaga Phantom <laughs> because, mm-hmm. and now some of the people locally call it old red eyes because people have seen it. Now, I I'd received an, a letter from, from a uh, scout leader several weeks after I eventually posted on the blog. Now, this was several years later. This was almost 20 years after it happened. Well, anyway, this scout leader was telling me, he said, you know, 
not long ago, you said my, my troop and I were out at Camp Conawaga. And we had a, um, you know, we were camping out. And one day, this, a whole bunch of the scouts came running back to the campsite and said that they had seen a dragon. Yeah. A dragon with wings and feathers and stuff. And he said, you know, I thought they were pulling my leg. I said, I, you know, I just thought they were playing games with it, even though they were serious. And they seemed like they were serious. And he said, you know, I never even imagined anything like that until I read your account. I had also t- talked to a, a resident uh, downstream at Dick's Dam who told me he had for years have been hearing those screaming sounds coming in and out. So, in the, in, you know, since that time, which has now been about 10 years, I've had five credible reports of uh, the, the being I saw. And it, it, very similar to what people see in Chicago, uh, up and along the, uh, the Conewago Creek. So there's something out there. Yeah, it, it's amazing how, how these things exist. Very, very few people report them as they don't want to be seen by their community as, as, as what, nuts? Yeah. Uh, and it's, I, think it, I think there's a tremendous amount of sightings. If you start looking back through the years and start pulling back the pages, I'd say the vast majority are unreported. And it's only when you get a cluster of, of newspaper articles and media attention that people start coming forward. And I know you've said before that, that sometimes their stories are old. But this is their chance to get out there and and to say what they saw, and 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 try and contribute what they to what them is reality. They saw it, and they're good people who just they're just they're not going to be the first ones to pick up the phone and make a report. Well, you know, these historical settings, these older settings, are just as welcome as the new settings because it gives us a better idea of what's really going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, that setting I got today was from 1999, mm-hmm. and it was an older woman who, who made the report. And I've got one of my investigators out out in the area talking to her today. They're going to talk to her in person, but she was very, very credible. And what she described was something very similar to what people are seeing now in the area and the fact that she said this thing vanished in thin air is her and two other witnesses actually saw it as well. So, you know, it lends credence to a lot of the theories that we've been coming up with, but this isn't something that's just going, you know, this is something we're going to keep looking into. Uh, cause I, I want answers. I want to get a better idea of what this phenomena is. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Yeah, that's it's what it's what drives you crazy. I, I guess it's always better that they remain legends that that we haven't that nobody's brought in a Bigfoot over their back or in the back of their pickup, and nobody's brought in a dead Mothman in the back of their pickup because it would be classified, it would be explained, it'd be photographed a thousand times, uh, and then that would be it. We'd know yeah. they we would know they exist. I think it's probably more fun that uh, that the skeptics can have their day, and that the and that the believers can have their day. And I think it, it adds to it adds to the it adds to the fabric of our lives. <laughs> well, you know, when you do this thing that I do, and I have a lot of people that work with me, it's uh, you do hear a lot of criticism, and yeah. uh, there's a lot of pushback, and it, it can get nasty sometimes. I mean, it's you know, it's just like anything else where there are disputes. People take it personally, and you know, it it can get a little it can get a little nasty at some point. Um, You're right. Uh, I, I find I that heard. as a as a podcaster, and, and I'm and I'm not in the middle of all the paranormal like you are. I just I just touch yeah. upon it every now and then. When I do miracles, I could get reviews saying, "Who are you to talk about about miracles?" And I'm just reporting. I'm just reporting something that was documented to a point, and saying, right. you know, you can you can take this. And you can filter it out, and you can make your own decisions. But this is what a number of people say is what happened. And my job and, and, and your job is to try and relay other people's accounts as best we can. You're right. I'm it's not a, making any money off doing this. I mean, this is something I enjoy doing. Yeah. That kind of gets lost in it sometimes. I mean, you know, I don't know why people think all paranormal investigators, cryptid investigators, are out for notoriety it's just not like that i mean now there are some things some opportunities that you know come with it at some point for some people but very few yep so if i didn't like doing this i wouldn't i would definitely not be doing it i understand 100 percent. it's same thing (laughs) same thing on my end i i enjoy what i do very 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 much i know exactly what you're talking about the difficulty with the paranormal field is that you're working with an unknown quantity, and there's mm-hmm. always going to be skeptics. It it draws a lot of criticism, like you said. There's a lot of people oh, yeah. who are afraid of it in one way or another, and I think that fear sometimes generates that anxiety. Yeah, I, I think a, I think a lot of skeptics, like you said, may be fearful that what we're reporting may be true. Yeah, and uh, some to reaction be. to that. Oh yeah, I think there's some reaction <laughs> to that. At one point in this interview. Lon had told me that he had asked his group of researchers to each come up with their own theories as to what they felt was going on with Mothman. And this was his answer. Well, some of the people thought it had something to do with a supposed meteor or small meteorite that landed landed in Lake Michigan prior to these sightings. Uh, Some of the other theories were uh, possible witchcraft or a cult. Then there were other theories that this may actually be a natural indigenous being. With some strange means of flight. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Your, your feeling is that they're moving between dimensions, I, and I would, I would imagine based on the number of sightings and the fact that it happens all over the world, apparently, that they can kind of move in and out at will, that nothing causes that. There's no atmospheric disturbance or other reasons why they would suddenly be allowed to come through or not? You know, I believe for the most part, cryptid phenomena, Bigfoot, upright canines, I, I think for the most part these are um, 
interdimensional beings. I, uh, you know, I, I do believe there may be some indigenous species in certain areas, uh, just like Bigfoot in the uh, uh, northwest part of the United States, up into Canada, maybe down in Florida. I mean, there may be some natural phenomena, but um, I believe in the, for the most part, these are uh, these are interdimensional beings. They're just I just don't believe there's any natural explanation for why nobody can find a body mm-hmm. and, and some of the characteristics that are associated with these phenomena. Um, it would, you know, and I heard way too many reports of things vanishing, other phenomena associated with it. Uh, Bigfoot, you know, a lot of times we get these orb sightings and other phenomena, uh, UFOs associated with the, these sightings at the same time. I mean, it, it, you know, it's, it's just, it's just hard to really fathom in my opinion. That is something natural. The The movie Men in Black, which was based on, from what I understand, based on a comic strip, it had a pretty good premise that there were a government, well, I guess it was a private agency of uh, consisting of agents who actually supervised or were in charge of the activities of what we would consider uh, some pretty paranormal beings. <laughs> it's a very interesting concept. I, I kind of got a kick out of that. What's your, what was your take on that? Oh, I don't know. You know, I, I, I'm quite sure that the government is involved with a lot of the um, research of these beings. In fact, I've got evidence that I've collected over the years where I believe Bigfoot has, is actually being followed. I mean, you know, the phenomena is being followed by the government for a lot of reasons. Um, of course, we know about the UFO activity in Project Blue Book and some of the other projects that are associated with ufos where the government's involved i i I think there is government involvement as far as (laughs) the premise in the uf in the uh, men in black movies uh that's kind of stretching it i think but i I think there are i i think there there are some connections somehow yeah i did a lot of research on the cattle mutilations and, mm. and I couldn't help but get the feeling that the government was somehow behind, maybe not behind where that originated, but yeah. maybe behind at least a part of it uh, with regard to genetic study. Well, that may very well be. I, uh, I, I think there, I don't know if you're familiar with the Todd C's death case No. Uh, up in uh, Northumberland, Pennsylvania back in 2002. But this was a gentleman who supposedly was abducted by a craft in the early morning. And he just suddenly disappeared for 36 hours. Nobody knew where he was. And his property in the adjacent area was all searched. Almost 250 people were, were searching the area. And then his body just turns up right there in front of the house. You know. Yikes. There's a lot of theories about a beer being a cover-up. I believe there was actually a cover-up. Um, I, I think some government officials got involved with that, namely the Air Force. It's a case that my partner, Butch Wachowski, and I have been looking into for several years now. We've been fortunate enough to get some evidence to kind of connect it as being a cover-up, but it's an ongoing investigation. So uh, 
you know, I think one day we're probably going to be coming out with some more. I may even write a book about it at some point. Is any of that story included on your website? Yeah, if you go to the website and and uh, search uh, Todd Sees, S-E-E-S, uh, you'll come up. Anything you want to add? You know, the only thing I can say is just go to the website on the right-hand column. I have a lot of links posted there. Uh, a lot of my personal investigations and uh, encounters are there. Then just go through the website. I've got over 6,000 posts on the website. Uh, if you go to the search module and just search the phenomena of your choice, I'm quite sure I have something there for you. <laughs> and that's phantomsandmonsters.com, right? Right. I don't know whether I could say I hope there's a lot of new fresh sightings for you or not. Well, it's been crazy. <laughs> I mean, no, seriously, I've, I've got two sightings just today. And uh, I think I had five reports called in to be yesterday. Are these are these recent occurrences? Some are and some aren't. But on, there are some recent ones. On the recent occurrences, uh, would you say that we're maybe starting another rash of occurrences? And, and exactly what areas are these? These are uh, Bigfoot for the most part. Okay. Uh, we had one down in Louisiana. And uh, then we, you know, I'm working on one now that wasn't too long ago, a terror pterosaur-type sighting in Illinois, just south of Chicago. And that's another thing about the, the Illinois-Chicago area. Yeah, explain that. Explain that, that to pterosaur, our listeners. Those pterosaur sightings are something that have been going on there a long time. Uh, Thunderbird, pterosaurs. The upper Midwest is ripe with those types of sightings. And uh, Describe the pterosaur. First of all, how do you spell it and well, des- describe what it well, looks like? It's, okay, P-T-E-R... O S O U R S. Okay. Basically, pterodactyl, uh, the dinosaur type flying sort, being. Sort of with a hammerhead, with a pointed beak, that type well, of thing? Well, with the pointed beak and the long ray that comes off the back of the head. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, bat like wings, though, they're, they're somewhat different. Had the tail on the back, long tail with a flat on the end. And where did you say those are being seen for the most part? All, all through the upper Midwest, but. Illinois in particular, all throughout Illinois, is a, uh, there have been sightings. Now, I guess one of the, the most famous sighting, I suppose, would be in Iowa, in the Van Meter area of Iowa. They called it the Van Meter Visitor. Chad Lewis wrote a book about it. But this was a pterosaur, pterodactyl-like being that was well-documented. But there have been similar sightings throughout the upper Midwest as well. Now, you think that might be uh, an animal that's indigenous to the area? Uh, just possible. A, a part of nature, maybe a... A, a relic, possibly. Is it a mutated-like flying animal? I don't know. You know it's yeah. possible, I guess. But there have been a lot of sightings. And the late J.C. Johnson and I talked about a lot of this phenomenon uh, throughout the United States. And he actually believed there were pterosaur flyways from uh, Mexico up into the United States. So, uh, who knows? <laughs> Fascinating stuff. Well, I want to I congratulate you on a fantastic website, phantomsandmonsters.com, and also your book, Mothman Dynasty, Chicago's Winged Humanoids. Great reading for everybody. Could you tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you uh, with any sightings they've had, past, present, or future? 
Well, you can contact me directly at lawnstrickler at phantomsandmonster.com or even call me. I, my number is 410-241-5974. Uh, I, I, I look into almost everything. I'm not a UFO guy, so I prefer not to have UFO sightings. Uh, but, you know, we do look into UFOs as a team. We... Um, uh, we, we look into everything. Uh, in the books, you can find my books on Amazon. Just just Google Lon Strickler and they'll come up. Thank you so much, Lon. It's been great talking to you today. Thanks for being a guest. And uh, we'll stay in touch. Okay. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Hi, everybody. I hope you enjoyed our interview with Lon Strickler, keeper of the blog at phantomsandmonsters.com. You really ought to check out that website. It is awesome. And also the author of Mothman Dynasty. So give him a call or, or email him, and I know he would appreciate it. Thank you. Next week, Sunday night, we'll be playing the second installment in Heroes Live Forever. I think you're going to really, really enjoy that one. We've got a lot of surprises for you there, so please do join us. Thank you all for being such great fans. And don't forget those reviews. We really love them. And they do help us in the rankings, especially the Apple Podcast reviews. But Stitcher.com and some of these other guys offer reviews as well. And those help us a lot. Thank you. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn. And we'll be back soon.